Hello and welcome to Plot Trist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reading Bringing Down the Duke by Evie Dunmore. So this is a new release for September of 2019 and it's number one in a league of extraordinary women. Now this is her first Her book? first book. She's a debut author. Interesting. Let's just, okay, this is not the order we usually do things in, but let's talk about the cover okay. and the marketing of this. Because I know we don't usually it. cover it, but... This one is interesting. So one of the things that uh, you come to appreciate about romance novels, I don't think you get into romance novels appreciating them, but you once you start liking them, you start enjoying the covers like more and more because they're so over the top, so ridiculous. They just look Fabio. There's the step back where you, you know, the, the front where it's just like one thing and then you open the step back and the step back is they're, they're in bed together doing something crazy, you know? Or like just floating in the air. Or floating in the air. Ethereally making out. Yeah. Those, Which happens, yeah. Those might be my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but this book, the cover is like very um, chick lit. And modern. And modern. Like, I've noticed some modern romance novels don't do the whole bodice ripper thing, mm -hmm. which makes sense. You're yeah, not yeah. talking about big ball gowns and, like, exactly. the romantic imagery. The cover of this one actually sort of reminded me, not in, like, specific color scheme or anything, but in tone of the Hating Games cover. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the, the font was, like, that, you know, handwritten, not hand, like, um, capital block, block and letters. The, and sort of the way people were drawn as silhouettes. Yeah. And... I don't, which is weird. Yeah. Because, and it also had like, you were saying book club questions. Yeah, there are book club questions at the back. So it's this book And it's is, being marketed as historical fiction. It's historical fiction. This book, dear listener, is 100% um, historical romance. This is to the not point that I would historical. actually say it's not a very good historical. No, no, no. I agree. <laughs> so I agree. The marketing of this one is confusing us. And I don't know. Yeah. I said this to Mike earlier, so I'm repeating myself a bit, but... I don't know if it's a good thing that the genre mm -hmm. is becoming more legitimized by the publishing industry. Yeah. In which case, it's a bummer this book is the first one I've seen to get this treatment, yeah. but I'm excited about that future. Yeah. Or if somehow this woman has gotten a contract that labels her as not a romance writer. In which, in which case, case, why? Yeah, exactly. Well, so when I got this book from the library, it was in new fiction. It was not in romance. There's no, there's no heart on the cover, which, like she means the heart stickers, the heart not like Harlequin yes. drawings. Like the the libraries near where you we know. live put Little extra heart there. stickers on the side above the call numbers, so you know what you're getting when you so get you your book. You know what you're getting, and this one like weirdly tries to disguise that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It feels like it's trying to be something that it's not, or trying to hide what it actually is, and. Lane and I are trying to decide whether we like that or not. And I think it just depends on like what happens in the industry in the next couple of years. Yeah. Whether or not I like, because I am all for romance novels getting the book club treatment. Yeah. And getting, I mean, women read these constantly. Plenty of them are better historical novels than actual historical fiction. Yeah. Like, I mean, part of the reason we started this podcast is because people don't read these for book clubs. There's no book club right. where you meet and talk about them. And so I'm, I'm, Pro the industry moving in that direction, I am anti this book somehow being declared more legitimate. Exactly, exactly. Is, th is it this book and this author who are more legitimate, or is it the genre as a whole? We'll see. We'll see. And I want to just preface it with that bias. Yes. Combined exactly. with the fact that I finished this book at 2.30 in the morning, yeah. which we're recording at 11 a.m., so about seven and a half hours ago. <laughs> um, I guess, no, nine and a half hours ago. Um, 
after having crash read it in one day because I knew we were doing this review. And that was not a pleasant way to read this book. Yeah. So I'm afraid I'm going to come off. I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. Yeah. And I'm afraid I'm going to come off as more negative than I mean to be because I'm like confused by the way it was advertised. Exactly. And was forced to like down it in two and a half hours. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But the, the marketing is, is very confusing and, and I have mixed feelings towards it. So I think that's what we're trying to preface this with. Yeah. So let's get into the book jacket. Okay. England, 1879, Annabelle Archer, the brilliant but destitute daughter of a country vicar, has earned herself a place among the first cohort of female students at the renowned University of Oxford. In return for her scholarship, she must support the rising women's suffrage movement. Her charge? Recruit men of influence to champion their cause. Her target? Sebastian Devereux, the cold and calculating Duke of Montgomery, who steers Britain's politics at the Queen's command. Her challenge? Not to give in to the powerful attraction she can't deny for the man who opposes everything she stands for. Sebastian is appalled to find a suffragist squad has infiltrated his ducal home, but the real threat is his impossible feelings for green-eyed beauty Annabelle. He is looking for a wife of equal standings to secure the legacy he has worked so hard to rebuild. Not an outspoken commoner who could never be his duchess. But he wouldn't be the greatest strategist of the kingdom if he couldn't claim this alluring blue stocking without the promise of a ring. Or could he? Locked in a battle with rising passion and a well-matching her own, will-matching her own, Annabelle will learn just what it takes to topple a duke. Okay. And as usual, we wrote our own summaries. We generate a random number to tell us how long these summaries have to be, and this week that random number was 45. All right. Brilliant and ruined Vicar's daughter is in the first class of women admitted to Oxford, on a suffragist scholarship, no less, and is tasked with understanding and converting a duke whose only concern is his lands in this fun but forgettable meeting of stock characters. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good. I like, your, I like that you slipped some commentary in. <laughs> okay, here's mine. <laughs> Suffragist and Duke meet cute when she hands him a pamphlet and then bribes his brother to invite her to a house party. Illness, intellectual sparring, dances, and recitals ensue. Does she have time to turn down both his proposals, decent and indecent, in 335 pages? Yep. She, dear reader, dear listener, she does. Okay, and before we get into the book, we do want to let you know that we have our feature of Gentleman Jackson's Get Pumped Workout for the most disciplined of Dukes, <clears throat> besides Scarlett Peckham's, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what does he do to stay in shape? Well, he has a big horse. Yeah. And he rides it. Uh-huh. And he works his lands with his own hands sometimes. Yeah. And, like, puts up some fences. He, hammer he has calluses on his hands from hammering fence posts. So he does it a lot. And from holding pens. Yeah. But, I mean, the important part are the fence posts. It's sort of implied, though, that the pens are part of his workout. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Because she's asking him, like, what he does, why he has calluses, his physical labors, and he yeah. starts with writing. My pens. <laughs> yeah. But we, what I'm saying, what we're really trying to get here is we've got the upper body and the lower body. The thighs. Right. From you the horse. Sinewy thighs. He's also kind of bulky, at least in the shoulders. Like yeah. He's not described as like boxer big no. or like the really thick guys we've encountered, but she talks about the breadth of his shoulders a lot. Yeah. He's like a Viking. He's like very blonde. He's white yeah. blonde, Viking-esque. 
So is what it is. Okay. Um, so we already, so we talked about the marketing. Um, let's talk slightly. So again, this, this book is touted as a uh, historical fiction, but we have some historical issues with the book. I'm gonna let Meg go on this one because this is her issue, but let's just say that even I noticed it. And if I'm picking up on how bad your historical accuracy is, yeah, especially for this era, you effed up. Yeah. So we've got some issues with the courtesy titles. Oh, God. Like major issues with these courtesy titles. At first, I was like, okay, this. So it's written, the first part, the first issue, the first time when this becomes an issue is written from Annabelle's perspective. And I was like, ooh, I don't like that. So I always notice when there's an issue. But then I was like, well, maybe this is going to be a plot point later because she is supposed to be not enough you know not educated enough or, or well born enough to become a duchess so it's like maybe she doesn't know what the right title is mm, that's not the case because later on people who are who actually have courtesy titles like lady uh hetty uh, gets it wrong yeah and mo the other thing that frustrated me is there was a lot of emphasis placed on how good she was at decorum and formality yeah yeah how polite and how she might not have been well-bred but educated in this she was so it was the contrast between it being so poorly done yeah. with being told how important it was that yeah. bothered me and finally got under my skin exactly um anyway i just have to say guys if you are confused about courtesy titles um, Evie, if you are confused about courtesy titles, just read Busman's Honeymoon by Dorothy Sayers. Lord Peter is going to school you the way he schools Harriet. You will learn all about it. It's not offensive. Peter's the best. He's going to teach you about courtesy titles. So that just, it's part of the frustration with us with this being getting such, his, part of the frustration I think with our perception that this is getting historical fiction rather than historical romance marketing mm -hmm. is the historical inaccuracies. Yeah. And and like later she she literally chooses some historical accuracy, inaccuracies. So for example, um, Annabelle gets falls ill on his manor and the book that he sends her is Crime and Punishment. That book was not translated into English in 1879. She acknowledges that in her afterward and says, "Look, I took some liberties with the time period blah blah blah." Okay, great. But did you also take some liberties with the courtesy titles that were actually in in place? Like those were not addressed at all. And I, again, I'm actually not blaming Evie here. I'm blaming her editor. Her editor should have caught all of this, especially if you're going to market this as historical romance. Well, hey, historical, historical fiction. fiction. Yeah, I, I think we've beaten that horse. Okay. I have more I want to say, but there's some other tropes, though. Yeah, let's look at the tropes. So, she's a blue stocking. She's a blue stocking. She's got a scandalous past. So, so does, does he. he. <laughs> this was maybe the moment where this book lost me for good. She lost a pregnancy. She lost a pregnancy, and she was really upset about it. <laughs> and again, we have, this is not the first book that you're going to read this in. This is not like a unique trope. So... Just saying. <laughs> He's raising his much younger brother and heir. I can't hate on this too much because you know my favorite mistress. <laughs> <laughs> same exact thing happens. Like it's even the same age difference. Yeah. Well, so. and they have a complicated relationship. Yeah. Because the younger brother feels intimidated by the responsibility of the dukedom. Yeah. Um, he, she's a suffragette, but not. We're not really? really. It's complicated. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, he's got a tragic and unfaithful former wife. But at least she's not dead. 
That's true. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's something. Um, his motivating factor is to restore the ducal lands lost by previous philandering. Mismanagement. Mismanagement, yeah. Drinking, gambling. Um, to, and speaking of the drinking, he's a to- teetotaler who finally caves. Of course. And why does he finally cave? The love of a good woman or lack of it. Yeah. Um, and this one also does the thing that I actually am kind of annoyed by when it's not done well. Yeah. Which is yeah. making historical figures characters. Disraeli and Queen Victoria both appear in text. And that's, yes, that's another, that's another issue. Look, it's one thing when Georgette Hayer does it. It's another thing when Evie Dunmore does it. Well, it's also, for Georgette Hayer, they were like contemporaries. I think it'd be a lot, di- when was Georgette Hayer writing? In the like 50s, 1950s. I'm going to cut all this. I definitely thought she was like 1920s. No, I know. Okay. Well, some of her stuff was in the 20s, but even then, like, she has, she, in anyway, Queen well, Victoria died in like 1903, but. But it wasn't Victorian. It was like, she has like the Prince Regent and stuff. Right, but that's what I was, I was like. Way, way back. Yeah. Okay. Okay, fair. Anyway. Um, yeah. But so Victorian does rarely appear. It doesn't seem to be particularly more relevant here than mm-hmm. it's ever been before. And I yeah. didn't really gain anything from their meetings. No. This Except, book wasn't long, but yeah. there was a lot that's necessary. There's a lot of stuff in it. And they didn't kiss until 50% of the way through, <laughs> which we'll get to. <laughs> Not that I keep track of these things. <clears throat> I mean, we have to for the podcast. It's it's true. This is educational. Yeah. Me keeping track of when tongues touch. Yeah. Um, okay. So the big conflict in the book, the big conflict in the book is the difference in their station. Yes. So he's like, I cannot marry you. You are a commoner. So he is the most powerful duke in the realm. Yeah. Even though his lands had been impoverished. He somehow like taken the dukedom from the pits yeah. to the height of society in 16 years. Yeah, from the from the pinnacle to the pit. Well, with the other way around, actually. Pit to the pinnacle. <laughs> um, and she is a vicar's daughter who got taken in by a cousin who's a minor lord. Not even the cousin just is like, a vicar. Just, it's a minor like leader in the community. I yeah, should yeah, say. yeah, yeah. And she's basically his servant. Yeah. Um, and so she's, as the book cover, as the book jacket said, she gets into the first class of women at Oxford. Yeah. And that's, she has to leave her cousin's home, but obviously with his support. Yeah. To attend classes. And that's sort of the difference in their stations. Yeah. And I, I was really confused about this. And you, again, look, I'm not saying that I'm an expert on this stuff, but I am saying that I've read a lot of books, like a lot of historical fiction, a lot of historical romance, but a lot of fiction, like classic fiction. And we all remember Elizabeth Bennet's set down of Lady Catherine de Bourgh when Lady Catherine says, you can't marry, you know, Darcy. And she Mm -hmm. says, he is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. There is no difference in our station. What is the difference in their station here? She's a clergyman's daughter. That is a perfectly acceptable station. Right? It might be unconventional. It might be unconventional for a Duke to marry a clergyman's daughter, and maybe there would have been small scandal. But he actually compares the potential of marrying her to this other Duke who took an, uh, an opera, opera singer. singer as a lover, and there is no way no. that a clergyman's daughter is on the same level as an opera singer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and this was like the major conflict. That's what I'm. That's what was tough for me to, to swallow because it didn't seem like it would be that much. And he a, doesn't need money issue. or social clout. Like right. it's not like he's trying to marry within his own class definitively yeah. for Yeah. I mean, so. I guess I guess the issue is that he's a he's a divorcee, so he's been divorced. So he would want someone who's above That's never articulated though. No, you it's make not. That, assumption, it's, that is but... true. That is true. Okay. So, yeah, it, 
so the as as part of that conflict originally because he is unwilling to view her as a social equal he yeah. offers her the position of his mistress yeah which and, and i'm not actually offended that he offers her the position of the mistress he does it in a shitty way he does it in a shitty way um and i'm not offended by the fact that she turned it down like right. like that that in in and of itself would have been a fine conflict you didn't need to take it further you know what i mean right so it was a little bit eye rolly she's very impoverished and clearly being his mistress would make her not impoverished but her justification for what she specifically would lose by being his mistress is pretty decent yeah there are things more important to her than money namely her place at oxford Mm -hmm. and becoming his mistress would lose her that Mm -hmm. so fine she rejects him but then, after a near-death experience... <laughs> yes! We've been talking about these near-death experiences lately. So, after a near-death experience, what is the final thing on his mind before he gets squished by his it's horse? It's not the castle he wants back. No. It's, it's not his lands or his empire or his station or the what? queen. It's her. It's Annabelle! It's Annabelle. And so, when he goes and finds her and says, I can't live without you, she turns him down again. Why? Okay, here's my biggest issue. Why does she turn him down? Not because she's a suffragist, not because she has ideals, not because this is going to, you know, be a betrayal of her ideals, but because she wants to protect the dukedom. Right, that she feels like he would be lowering himself to Uh, marry her, and she thinks what's best for him, even though she has been thinking of accepting a marriage proposal Uh, for chapters. Yep. All of a sudden. Yep. He's too good for her. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's so I had not some resolved issues. quickly either. No, it's not. No, it's not. It. <laughs> so he does eventually win her back by... With a grand gesture. With a grand gesture of continuing to commit to, on trend, her over his previous ideals and priorities. Yeah. And it's... The ending's cute. Yeah. I'm, I sound way more apathetic and disinterested in this book than I was. It was fine. The book is fine. There's, there's actually very little to be offended about in this book. Yeah. So let's move on it's to really talking about being offended. So the only thing that kind of bothered me plot-wise, she's not really a suffragette. She really isn't. She got a scholarship from suffragettes. Yes. And so as part of getting her money, she has to volunteer for the yeah. cause. And but that she, in, that in and of itself wouldn't have bothered me. Like there are people who do stuff for scholarships. Sure. You know what I mean? And that didn't bother me except that she has this one long monologue at the end yes. where she finally espouses it and it's not treated like a moment of realization. Yes. Exactly. It's not like she's the whole time she's been like learning about the cause and thinking, you know what? This is true. Like this is really important. Like, maybe I should devote myself to this. No, 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 no. And uh, here's the other thing. If you have been listening to our podcast, you know that we just reviewed The Truth About Love and Dukes. What is The Truth About Love and Dukes about? A suffragette and a duke. Now, granted, the suffragette in that book is aristocracy. Yes. But otherwise, very similar. The treatment of the two characters is so different. The the conflict there is so believable that it was really tough to read this book and not really believe the conflict. Yeah. You know, so part of it is maybe just when we read the book. Like, like truly, just in the past two weeks, I read The Truth About Love and Dukes, and then I read this one, which have the same premise, Duke Suffragette. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, 
uh, this isn't offensive, but f I think what ultimately my distaste for this book comes down to is I just don't buy these characters being yeah. into each other. Like they're independently, and I alluded to this in my summary, not very unique. Mm -hmm. like, there was nothing about them that I feel like I really understood them or gravitated to them, and that made their interactions a little lame. Yeah. Especially when consent is not a plus in this book. It's not a plus. So consent is implied rather than expressed. So again, she never, she doesn't say yes. She says no when she doesn't want to do something and he stops immediately. So consent is respected in that way. It's very no means no. But there is not like a period, a time where she says, yes, I want to do this. Yes, I want to do that. Like, that's not true. There are scenes where she says that. But yeah. there are scenes where she doesn't say that. There's also, and I don't know how to articulate this and I don't know if I'm offended by it, but I just want to talk it out. Yeah. She's not a virgin. Right. She had a previous lover mm -hmm. um, when she was a girl and that's sort of how she ended up in the cousin's care, but nobody really knows what happened. Yeah. So she was ruined, but not quite publicly. And so he offers her the position of his mistress mm -hmm. without knowing anything about her past. Yeah, but she like somehow she, she makes the assumption she makes the assumption that he somehow would knew he have offered for that, her if he yeah. thought she was a virgin. Right. So it went really from, weird. I wanted to give this book a pat on the back for like not letting either of their sexual histories matter, mm -hmm. and then it really mattered, but wasn't explained well. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily something that offends me because he's not fetishizing or no. condemning her for virginity or lack thereof. Yeah. But it was just weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just odd. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on to the positives of the sexiness. Um, I, I didn't think it was, like, unsexy, but I didn't think it was, like, super sexy. She and every man she meets is obsessed with her mouth. Her mouth. <laughs> so weird. I don't get it. Like, I, I mean, I guess some women, like Emmanuel Bear, she has like a beautiful mouth, right? <laughs> I mean, so, sure, plenty of people have nice but, mouths. Yeah, yeah, it would seem odd that like this was the feature. She, she also is like part French, which is maybe why Emmanuel Bear came to my mind. <laughs> I also, this is, she like talks about how she's made herself ugly on purpose in a way oh, that kind of bothered me. So annoying. She was just like basically ever since I seduced, was seduced by that guy at 17, I've really played down my looks. <laughs> yeah, right. I know they don't get me anything, so I don't care if I'm beautiful. And then she acts shocked when people are like, but you're real hot. Right. It was, it's, it, <laughs> and it, they, they're, it's fun. There's like some sex scenes once they finally get picked up. It's, it takes a while for them to get together and... Well, whatever. I, and then every hookup is angsty. That's the thing. That's the thing. Because I was going to say, I think either that's they're stopping the hookups because she won't be his mistress or they're going through with them anyway and she still won't be his mistress. Yeah. There's, there's, there's not a single happy hookup. There's not actually. a single happy hookup. There's not a single one where they wake up the next day and they make a joke about how sore they are. You know? <laughs> like in a good way. I mean, she makes a joke about how she is after getting off the horse. Right, but it's like, anyway, yes. Exactly. Exactly. She makes a joke about riding a horse. That's not why I read a romance. <laughs> I, like, I do want to express that this review is definitely harsher than I think about the book. Yeah. I, like, I don't know why I'm struggling so hard to like put a positive spin on this because I didn't hate it. No, I, I, but you know, that's, I think that is the nicest thing we can say about the book is that we didn't hate it. It was totally fine. It's totally fine. So like neither recommended nor not recommended. Like if yeah. you like the genre, it's a fun romp. Yeah, exactly. And and there's very little to be offended by, so go for it. But completely honestly, if you are looking for a book with very little to be offended by about a suffragette and a duke where the conflict is really well handled, read The Truth About Love and Dukes. 
Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoyed. And we'll be back with another episode. Bye.